and welcome back to another Rogue Table Talk. I'm your host, Chad Myers, and this is my host, Mike Sherman. All right, we're ready to be back at it again, and I just want to pause to say thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our listeners who are uh, following along, and uh, we're excited to go on this road with you. In fact, I had a staff member, fellow staff member this week, say, Mm -hmm. hey, I just, you know, Mm -hmm. had to drive out and do some work and listen to you guys' podcast on the way, so... Mm. I was pleasantly right. surprised. We, we make them. <laughs> it's required <laughs> it's listening. Required, <laughs> Salaries at the end of the yeah, year are adjusted yeah. based on podcast right. subscription. Some notes about the podcast. <laughs> so we're in our uh, we're in our series uh, at church on the book of Judges, seventh book of the Bible. And uh, w- last week we did some work, kind of catching up to where we are uh, in Bible history. So if you're if you have zero knowledge of that, no worries. You might want to catch last week's episode. I would also recommend um, kind of working your way through the Book of Judges. Um, it's a pretty fascinating book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of unique stories yeah. there. Um, you'll see the cycle that we talked about going on. But um, I-, I think it's it's a really incredible way to talk about what we're going to talk about today, um, some of our jumping off points. Uh, It's not necessary that you follow along in the sermons each week, um, especially because in Judges, we won't go through explicitly each Yeah, we'll probably vary a little bit more than normal. So Um, catch us up a little bit, um, Mike, on flow history, Mm -hmm. where we are in the Bible, just to recap. Yeah, so Israel has just entered the Promised Land, pretty at the beginning of Judges, but they didn't really do everything God wanted them to do. They didn't uh, take complete possession of the land, and so they're living among people who um, will be sort of thorns in their side, so to speak. Um, And uh, we will see as well this sort of promised land uh, where they are in redemptive history, this trying to take the promised land, which is different from us. And we talked about that, I think, last week trying to uh differentiate ourselves from we we don't live we explicitly don't live in the promised land Um, and then there's a cycle of uh peace and prosperity followed by drifting and disobedience and then some sort of uh, consequence usually one of the nations comes to rule them and the people then cry out and god selects a judge to deliver them and then there's peace and the cycle repeats so the whole the whole book has uh I, I don't know, seven of these or so, a number of these cycles. Uh, and if you read the book, you'll notice that the cycles, it's a downward spiral. Mm-hmm. Each cycle gets worse. Worse. Yeah, worse. Um, and in fact, uh, I think we might link it in the show notes. Um, there's a link to, uh, uh, there'll be a link to some videos that we did uh, a couple of years ago. We have one on the book of Judges from the whole story. And if you just go to Calvary.Church and, and select, you know, watch and video resources, it's, it's in there. And so that might give you some background. Um, and here we are with the first iteration. So yeah. the first iteration is the first judge is Othniel. And uh, from Judges chapter 3, I'm just going to give you the whole cycle in four verses. Starting in verse 7, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. That's the... Again, that's the beginning of the cycle. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan, Reshethim, king of Aram, Naharim. I'm glad you're reading. Right. Who knows (laughs) what that is really supposed to be. To whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, 
son of Kinez, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. The Spirit of the Lord came on him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave the king of Aram into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kinez, died. So that's the whole cycle in sort of a short, concise little thing that we see repeated, and we'll see it in more detail and, and more. And so that's kind of what happens in the book of Judges. And I guess to start off with, there's a certain heaviness, certain sense of futility, maybe, as you read the book, yeah. and this sort of, like, what, do we have to be here? Like, you know, what's going on? Well, and, and what jumps out at me as to lead into that uh, portion of the conversation, what jumps out at me is, you know, like we talked about last week, there are certain things that parallel for us mm -hmm. as personally you know, Western, in cycle, right, right. Uh, in our cycle and, and in our life and our story. And there's certain things that don't. Um, one of the things that was jumping out to me as thinking through the book of Judges is the state of spiritual decline. Mm -hmm. And you see it right here uh, in this passage, chapter 3, verse 7, this, um, this spiritual decline leads into subject being sub subject um, or made yeah, subject... To being in bondage to yes, something. to someone, something, right? exactly. So, to, so spiritual growth is really a sense of freedom mm -hmm. and flourishing. Uh, but when we enter into spiritual decline... Uh, we're subjecting ourselves to things, to power structures, um, to ideologies, to people, even that that it hinders us. It's this obstacle. It's a it presses us down, and so that's where I think the heaviness comes from in the book. Is you're reading it is just all sorts of icky. Oh, there's so much spiritual decline. Like mm -hmm. Why? Mm -hmm. And then there's judgment because of the you know, worshiping of false gods, worshiping right. idols. Right. And then the deliverer comes. That's why it's called judges. The mm -hmm. judges are deliverers, but then it doesn't get better. Yeah. They stay, they stay faithful for a very, very short period of time. And then they go back into spiritual decline. Right. 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 And so there's a number of, for me, a number of questions that kind of jump to mind then, um, you know, which is, you know, can we live, are we able to live independently? Like we kind of have this ideal, I think, in modern Western enlightenment culture, certainly in America, that you're the captain of your own ship, you stand on your own two feet, you determine your future, and a sense that we're not dependent on anything. And it seems like one of the, th one of the, heavinesses of the book of judges that perhaps you know maybe sheds a light on some of our, our current heaviness is i don't know that we're actually spiritually able to do that mm -hmm. uh, in fact biblically i would say we're not that's that's not really what we're called to do that we're called to live in dependence on on god on the body of christ on the community and you know underneath his word underneath the direction of his spirit and when we sort of get out on our own, we forget the Lord, we drift. And then we're going to be either in dependence on him and his people and his word, or we're going to be in bondage to something else that there's yeah. right. There's no middle ground there. We want to think we can split the difference and be the captain of our own ship. And we can live, I think under that 
that, that impression for a long time, but really, you know, we're probably in the cycle already. Yeah. And I think that's true. And I think, um, you know, that reminds me of the phrase, everyone did what was right in their own mm-hmm. eyes. Right. So this is the kind of post-modern, post-trans-modern, uh, mm-hmm. post-Christian world of I want autonomy without consequences. Yes. I want decisions without um, being tied to any type of ramifications. And people, that's the ideologies, that's the philosophies, but as I had one prof in seminary used to say, it, it doesn't work in the real world. You drive your car into a tree, it hurts. Mm-hmm. There are consequences right. and movements. Right. That's just what we're tied down to yeah. on this clump of earth. And yeah. so uh, there are real time, real life um, benefits and costs to, uh, to the choices that we make. Right. So real freedom brings with it the ownership of the consequences that come with your decisions which we're probably not able to navigate successfully. And so we're going to end up relying on something, depending on something. And it might be, you know, our job, it might be our accomplishments. It might be our image. It might be our money or something, but eventually we'll get to, to some place where we're, we're not in dependence on who we ought to be dependent on. We're in dependence on something else, whether we think we are or not. And this sort of living independently, standing on our own two feet, whatever, is partly an American ideal that we can understand from a, that sort of practical point of view. And partly spiritually, it's a myth yeah. that we like to entertain. Uh, and so there is a grief or a lament that, so part of this heaviness is familiar to us, I think, right? Yeah. Um, and that like, why couldn't they just like, just do better. Right. I mean, stop doing that. You want, you read it. Right. You're like, just, okay, just stop. Just, just do better than that. That's so good. Um, how many of you frustrated parents have yeah. tried employing stop that doing with that. kids? Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. How did that work? Right. Stop arguing. Stop. You know, put the that Dr. Down. Phil. Listen thing. to what I how say. How did that work out for you? <laughs> right. How's this going for yes. you? Yeah. Right. Dr. Phil on the book of judges. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which that's like the obvious thing, but one of the messages of the Old Testament is they couldn't. So this is fascinating to me because I really am passionate about how the process of maturity or transformation takes place. Um, so, so what does that, what does that practically mean? What does it look like to be a dependent person? Mm-hmm. Can I be successful and dependent? Right. You know, does it mean right. I, I, you know, I'm not very good at something like, how does this all play out? Yeah, I do think that's right. I think that's the, I don't know that that's truly a paradox, but it is to us that they seem to be in odds that dependence is negative and is the opposite of being successful. Right. Right. But spiritually that's, that's a problem. Partly we want to accomplish, we want to accomplish spiritual maturity, right? We want to achieve it. You know, achieve spiritual maturity by this program. We read this book. We take this class. You know, we watch this preacher on YouTube, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And listen we'll to this podcast. Listen to this <laughs> podcast, which is an exception. You know, if you do nothing else. <laughs> you will uh, grow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is the exception that proves the rule. Um, 
that we want to accomplish it. We want to manage it. We want to take hold of it because that's sort of, that's how you do. You take hold of your career. You take hold of where you live. You take hold of, you know, getting the promotion. You take hold of succeeding at school. And we want to take hold of spiritual maturity in such a way that we're achieving it and that we know we're achieving it. We can see progress. We feel good about it, you know? Um, And that's, you know, actually in the, in the, in the old Testament, we see that never worked. doesn't work. Trying to keep the law more forcefully or scrupulously just turn people into Pharisees and hypocrites. Um, And in the new Testament, we see, okay, it means dying to yourself Mm -hmm. and that, it's the last will be first and not the first will be last. You know, the first will be last. And, and, you know, how, okay, now what do I do with that? How do I live in dependence? And I have to somehow trust God to mature me if I'm just depending on him, right? Well, I, I almost th- let go of yeah. managing yeah. the fruit of maturity. Wow, that's really good. And that's really, really hard because sometimes in the church, we everything around us in church culture reinforces like spiritual maturity is something you do. Well, we like, do in this. the church, we church leaders. Yes. We, can, we do that. Except again, exceptions. Except <laughs> Calvary church where everything is perfect. But, but yeah, you know, jump it, through it, these hoops. Yes. There's this sense of, yes, there is stuff to do that is associated with spiritual maturity. And some of, if you're doing nothing, then, Hey, we're going to encourage you to join a small group or to come worship regularly. But that's sort of part of the process of that God's going to work through this to accomplish it. This doesn't accomplish it. This is something that God uses to accomplish it. Yeah, I think that's incredible. Uh, I think to me that's a very subversive, and by subversive I simply mean overthrowing the obvious. Um, And the obvious uh, is spiritual activity doesn't necessarily mean spiritual maturity. But spiritual activity makes me feel good about my spiritual maturity. It makes me equate this. I'm spiritually mature because look at all of my spiritual activity. Right. And so I think that's, I think that is key. And one other observation here in the cycle, and I, I could disagree with my own observation in 10 minutes from now, but the best time for them in the cycle is when they're crying out in prayer. That's that's the best time for them. That's the only time in the cycle where they really are where they should have been all along. Like, how do you cry out to God during peace and prosperity? Right. And you, you know, that's what we should be doing, but yeah. we don't usually do that. It, it's the tension that is the sweet spot almost. Yeah. And we, right. we want everything to resolve, you know, God, please resolve the tension. But I think one of the things that judges shows us and God's not at fault for raising up a deliverer, but we don't handle the resolve tension very well. Mm-hmm. We don't handle the success and the ease and the comfort very well. Mm-hmm. We are people who are prone to forget. Mm-hmm. And so we need the pressure, mm-hmm. um, the challenges, the trials around us. That's why James can say, consider it pure joy because these things create dependent people. And actually we will be at our best spiritually when we're, mm-hmm. when we're remaining in that mm-hmm. dependent the posture. The best way to avoid bondage is to remain dependent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it, is it true? And I'm, you know, thinking as I'm talking, is it true to say that it almost, we almost have to stop thinking about, almost have to stop trying to worry about how spiritually mature we are <laughs> in order to actually grow in spiritual maturity. We almost have to let go of it. 
uh, you know, there's a, there's a, I have a quote in a story and mm-hmm. they just came to me. I think that's right. The quote, and I'm probably uh, botching it somehow. Um, but it's basically holiness is not self-conscious. Mm. So when I'm posting on social media and I'm talking about how brave I am mm-hmm. for, or, for or instance, or the picture of you sitting in the coffee shop with your Bible open and a cup of coffee, for instance, yeah. You know, when I'm talking about how I'm growing in humility, yeah. for instance, yeah. like if I'm doing the thing and embodying the thing that is maturity, I'm probably really not talking about it because I'm unselfconscious about it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm not talking about how loving I am yeah. or how I gave love. Yeah. I'm just loving. So, it, it, but it reminds me, I think that's true. You're not necessarily, you're not overanalyzing it. You're not overthinking it. Um, I was in college and I had a, I had a real struggle around this issue. Um, you know, you grew up in the church. I grew up in the church, um, Sunday school, youth group. Um, I was a little rebellious Mm -hmm. as you might could Mm. sense, Mm -mm. (laughs) but I went to a pretty conservative Christian school in college and, um, I struggled with, you know, how am I doing spiritually? It was this question that just plagued me all the time. Anxiety producing. Yes. Anxiety producing. Am I growing? Am I mature? Am I doing the right things? Have I done something wrong? And then we had a guest chapel speaker and I approached him around a similar conversation and expressed this to him. And uh, what he said wounded me to a point, but it was the most helpful thing he could have said to me. Um, and it's going to sound really obvious. He said, you, you can't take your spiritual temperature all the time. Mm -hmm. You have to stop that. Mm -hmm. And I thought, Oh, Mm -hmm. that is, that's a problem Mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. Always checking in. Am I Mm -hmm. doing it right? Is this Mm -hmm. my accomplishing spiritual growth? Yeah, because even what's behind that is this sort of idea that I need to manage it, I need to accomplish it, I need to achieve it. Um, and I think even it kind of goes back to the, you know, growing in holiness or growing in humility, you know, and the posting it and the self-consciousness of it is if I was truly conscious of my actual spiritual state, I would be humble and mm-hmm. I would never post about yeah, it. Right. right. I mean, yeah. true humility is like, yeah, I'm a kind of a mess here. And I really, right. I really got a long way to go. Um, and you know, I, I believe that the more mature you grow, the, the more conscious you are of the distance you yet have to grow. Mm. And you, so if you think you, if you're feeling pretty good about yourself, you might be in a place where you're, you're not really as mature as you think you are. Yeah. Um, because the life God calls us to just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, we kind of want, we can't accomplish that. We kind of want manageable. And, um, so I do think there's, um, there's part of us, you know, like, so I'm saying that. And I think as Americans, you think, wow, you're just telling me to sit at home and, you know, not care, not do anything that I'll just do whatever I want. And that's really not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that, I have to live faithfully independently. And then the whole question about how mature I'm getting is not really my question. Yeah. Spiritual activity doesn't equate to spiritual maturity, but it does put me, put me in the ball game. Yeah. It puts me in the it's ballpark. It's a conduit by which yes. God's going to, well, so uh, spiritual habits are helpful and that God works, can work in them. Yes. But if I'm accomplishing my spirituality through habits, they're probably not doing anything for me. Right. Uh, and I think that's really, I don't know that if that's a, just a typically American thing, but I think I've, I've struggled around that and and it's only as I've gotten a little older, maybe a little less anxious that I've begun to realize that I have struggled around trying to do the right things. 
yeah. trying to respond correctly in such a way that I'm sort of, um, yeah, I'm trying to accomplish it. I'm trying to do something, do something just like, you know, you train to run a mile or you train, you know, whatever that is, you kind of treat spirituality the same way. Yeah. Um, and I think that's it, splitting that difference is pretty difficult. Um, so when we, how, what are some ways in which we can separate those two things? True spirituality, and the accomplishment of spirituality, or what are some things that we can think through or struggle with or bring before the Lord, which will help us, you know, maybe let go of that, do you think? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. And there's probably questions behind the question and 10 mm -hmm. different answers. The first answer that uh, I'm thinking through, and just as a paradigm, is we have to be very discerning about what we're up to when we're in spiritual activity. So if I can, you know, pray and fight for some level of self-awareness, mm -hmm. am I engaging in my spiritual discipline? And is this inflating my winning ego type mm -hmm. thing is mm -hmm. me? Do I feel really great that I just read the Bible? Yes. Thing. Am I thinking about the fact that I'm reading the Bible or right. am I really present? Right. This is God's word speaking. Am to I me? winning? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I right. get it. We have right. like amazing people winning at everything. Right. Yeah. Um, and we follow suit in the church. But so to me, the other important thing to think through is, um, and I think this was, uh, this is a little bit of John Ortberg, who I uh, really appreciate when he talks about spiritual transformation of the measure of true spiritual growth would be the fruit of the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, if, if I'm, you know, I can read my Bible all day, mm -hmm. but if I'm not growing in, you know, love, am joy, I more patient, patience, patience, patience kind am of I more all gentle? That. Am I if, kinder? Yes. If this isn't fueling that, then, then I can rethink it. Yeah. Go to plan B, go to plan yeah, B, like stop right. it, figure yeah. it out, you right. know, um, reroute. Right. Um, it's not accomplishing the goal yeah. of expanding your heart to hold the spirit, which, produces he produces right. the fruit of the spirit right. I, I can't do it yeah i just have to get out of his right. way mm -hmm. but when i'm in all of my sorts of my you know pride kind of figure you know figuring out if i'm doing good at spiritual growth or not mm -hmm. i'm gonna i'm gonna yeah. quench i'm gonna cut off spirit's yeah. growth and that's actually really healthy in if i'm asking those questions honestly that's really healthy in producing humility yeah that well, I mean, if I'm growing in patience, I still have a long way to go because I'm not super patient because yeah. when the light turns green and you're still looking at your phone, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure what would Jesus do in that <laughs> thing, but I'm pretty sure he's not thinking what I'm thinking. Are you, did right? you see me at lunch oh or something? Goodness, I was like, nothing that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Don't yeah, get you, me on dude, a rant because you, you know how easy I can get on a rant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> dude, you're at the front of the line. There's eight cars behind you. You got one job. <laughs> Look at the light. You got That's all I'm saying. One job. Right. We'll edit this out. You got one job. When it's green, push down on the pedal to the right. That's it. All you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. So um, don't drive. We watch where you're driving around me and Mike. <laughs> We're growing in patience. Yeah. We're yeah, trying. That's not the time to pray. All right. Pray later. Um, so, but I think one of the things that if you, in the Old Testament in general, judges in particular, there does seem to be a a black and white relationship between you know, the people did bad, they went into bondage, bad things happened. So people did bad, yeah. bad things happened. God cried out. They cried out, God delivered. 
And I think we can reverse that. I mean, we can look at our lives and say, okay, bad things are happening. I must have done bad. Right. Like I must not be where I am spiritually or I wouldn't have got a flat tire, you know, or something where I wouldn't have lost my job or my kids, my kid wouldn't be sick or my marriage wouldn't be struggling. I must be, or they must be bad spiritually. I mean, that's pretty, it's a pretty easy step to take. Well, and I don't even know if we're aware when we take it. Because I think there's probably a low level amount of low level, unrecognized, I'm not really doing like I should be doing Mm -hmm. spiritually. Mm -hmm. So bad things happen. Okay. Now I know why. It's confirmed. It's confirmed. I haven't measured up spiritually. (laughs) So, you know, I think this is the theology of the thorn. Uh, Thorn in the flesh, um, referring to Paul, New Testament. Um, And this is the things that go wrong in the culture, go wrong with our workday. This is our doubts. Mm -hmm. This is our fears. This is our sins. This is our weakness. This is the thing that we think, if I was just rid of that, Mm -hmm. I would be fine. I would be good. Um, And, you know, one of the things I see in the Bible is that it's constantly taking humans' perspective and flipping it upside down. Mm -hmm. That is the gift most of the time that we need. The interruption to our schedule. Mm -hmm the flat tire, mm. the questions that I have that I'm afraid to say out loud that actually, if I followed them, could take me to a really deep, sweet place of faith and trust. Mm-hmm. But those questions nag me and I put them in the bad category. Mm-hmm. So blah, blah, blah. We're not doing good. We're sick. Mm-hmm. Our child's struggling. Okay. To me, those are the invitations. Yeah. Those are not right. the problem. Those are the opportunities. Those are the opportunities. Those right. are the, those are the answer. Yeah. So like what, instead of worrying about my level of spiritual maturity, when I have a flat tire, is this an opportunity to be patient and unanxious? Yeah. And, uh, or is it a opportunity to be angry, anxious and questioning like what I should have done next because I didn't have any, I didn't have prayed in four days, you know, yeah. so, but my tire got flat or whatever, whatever you want to do with that. And I think that, you know, in a very practical way, when bad things happen to us, because we're not promised, hey, if you do right spiritually, you're going to have good things. It's almost the opposite. What we see over and over again in the New Testament, um, you know, if we have that sort of, uh, you know, that sense of accomplishing spirituality, then it's easy to go to just like the people of Israel. They did bad and, and God brought bad things. Right. Uh, and there's a certain almost comfort in that. There's a certain mathematics to it that's like, oh, this makes sense. Yeah. When, well, no, maybe maybe that's not why at all. And there's really no explanation as to why this happened. It's more of an invitation of what are you going to do with it? How do you how do you live in this place as a spiritually mature and maturing person in this circumstance? Because you can't do it in bad circumstances and. Yeah. You can't do it. I mean, it's, that's the endless invitation, Mm -hmm. uh, to something deep, something true, something beyond ourselves, Mm -hmm. something beyond our management and control and foresight, Mm -hmm. because that will never change. Yeah. Um, and so, so that has to Mm -hmm. somehow be integrated into the spiritual life Mm -hmm. as opposed to let's keep that out of the spiritual life. Mm -hmm. That's a problem to be solved. And Mm -hmm. as a, and more so, no, those are, uh, jumping off points towards maturity. Right. 
Yeah, so I, th I do think how we read, we, we take this idea of accomplishing spirituality, we take this idea of the zero-sum game and the mathematics of if you do good, good will happen, or if you're in, you know, keeping a good God's good graces, he'll bring good things. It's, it's easy to take that perspective and that lens and, and place it over the Bible when we read it. Yeah. And, you know, one of the more famous examples is, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, where I know the plans I have for you, right? I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And what do we do with that? Well, we're in June, right? Yeah. So uh, graduation cards mm -hmm. in May. Yeah. Absolutely. Someone was smart. Absolutely. And they yes. put those things on the graduation yes. card. Right. There's it's, probably a Jeremiah 29, 11 Bible for the graduate. There, well, there probably is, actually. There probably <laughs> I'm is. a little sassy there today. There probably is. Yeah. And then you make, you know, there's a lot of money to be made. It's perfect. You yeah. Know, it's a perfect American expression of, you know, Christianity. Uh, so what we do with that is we, 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 we ignore where we are in the story. Yeah. In the Bible right. story. And we, we cherry pick that. Right. And then we want to bring it over to our context yes. and say, well, see, right. I know the plan. God has Look good plans for me. Good plans for me. I don't know what's happening right now. Never going to struggle. Right. right. Never going to struggle in yeah. marriage or career or right. this, that. Right. And, you know, I'm just going to claim that promise when where they were in the story was after Judges and the spiraling down, spiraling down had completed and God brought the Babylonians and took them into exile for 70 years. So this is Jeremiah 29, 10 through 12. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. So the context of that verse is at the beginning of the 70 years, the plan is to restore the nation, to restore God's people back to the promised land so that God's redemptive plan can continue. It's really the you there is collective. Mm -hmm. And if you're a 40-year-old person going into exile, you know, you're going to die in exile. You're going to die in exile. That's the, that's the deal. Yeah. Um, now the, the promise is still true and God's promise is true to himself and God's plan to redeem is true. It's just, I can't necessarily take that and apply yeah. personal prosperity to me as defined by me, but that's what we want to do. We want to say, God wants to prosper me individually. And I even get to define what prosper is. And that's completely not what it's saying, but we can see why we do that in our culture. We look at that and go, oh, that's, that's exactly what I thought. That makes sense. Yeah. God wants to prosper me. He's got good plans for me. I, I love that um, because it just feels so honest. It, you know, it's the reality of the book mm -hmm. that they're moving into exile and your kid yeah. may, yeah. may make yeah. it back. If all goes well, your kid maybe goes Into back. the land, yeah. but you're not. Right. And so the idea that the, the Bible is meant to be read and understood and felt in community because it's, it wasn't about the individual mm -hmm. first. Yeah. It was about the community right. of faith and the promises to that mm -hmm. community. So the community yeah. will prosper. Right. And it may be 70, 120, mm -hmm. 150 years. The mm -hmm. community yeah. is going to experience that fulfillment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
that doesn't mean I don't have a, a part to play. Right. Sure. But it's, yes. this is, this is an exile verse. Right. And we want to, like we talked about last week, right. we want to make I, it a promised land verse. We want to make it a promised land verse. It's yeah. an exile verse. Yeah. Literally. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, thinking through that, even for us, especially since in the culture in the West, Christianity, Judeo-Christian values have, have moved to the margins or beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. to, our to, exile status should be more obvious. It should be obvious yes. um, if we can yes. let go, mm-hmm. if we can let the old paradigm um, yeah. and the attempts at that mm-hmm. kind of die. Mm-hmm. Um, in exile, do? I don't mean that in a defeated sort of way. Like, I don't mean that in a book of judges sort of way, like we did bad. And so now right. we're in exile. Like, you know, throughout the whole, the whole church, the history of the church, we are sort of in exile awaiting the groom, awaiting, you know, our true promised land is going to be with Christ in, in heaven. And now we're ambassadors and we're, we're in exile. And I think that's sort of the, the almost the heaviness that you feel in judges or that I feel in judges might relate to that sense of heaviness now that they're not really getting the promised land. I'm not either. And I'm not, you know, I'm not supposed to be getting it now, but there's a certain, you know, in Romans eight, there's a certain groaning to the fact that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And that's, that's the reality. Well, if you think about, um, um, you know, being in a sense, being an exile, uh, being a journeyer in another land, when the people don't share the common language, the people don't share the common values, when there's a different commerce that you're unfamiliar with, or there's something that just you've been displaced, mm-hmm. it, when you're at that too long, there's a real fatigue to that. Sure. There's a real fatigue to being an outsider mm-hmm. and to feeling like you don't, you know, this isn't, um, and I'm just talking culturally, I'm not talking earth, but this doesn't feel like home mm-hmm. Right. where maybe it did right. it feel more like home 60 years ago, right. but now it doesn't. Right. And so there is a real type of weariness that comes from, I'm going to, I'm going to feel like I have to be aware and on guard mm-hmm. and on mm-hmm. more, um, now, right. Um, kind of can't let my guard down too much, Yeah. but it's almost like going back to what we were saying before what you said, like that should be the invitation to further dependence and to further growth yeah. rather than being comfortable by being at home, being uncomfortable in, in a culture that maybe isn't our home should be an invitation to deeper dependence, deeper maturity, uh, should be the thing that causes us to, to bear fruit or yeah. who invites us to bear fruit. Like it's a good, it's a good thing. Really. Yeah. It helps me grow really. Because the goal isn't, the object isn't my comfort, you know, yeah. which is what I want. Yeah. Um, so we were talking about this this morning, um, this idea that, so in this context, we are commanded to hope, hmm. right? You know, Psalm 131, 3, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Romans 12, 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. There's other places where these are imperatives. And so what is that in this place that we're in, uh, in, you know, this sort of living this life, this exile sort of spiritually speaking life, uh, with the heaviness and the groaning, what is it? How do we keep that command? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, when I think about that, it, it, it makes, uh, immediately go to 
uh, a spiritual muscle that maybe we haven't had to develop um, in the past because the whole culture was filled with hope. You watch, mm-hmm. you know, you listen to 80s music, right. you listen to, you watch mm-hmm. 80s movies, like there's just this buoyant right. hopefulness right. of like, oh, it's like, look, this is America. Right. This is where we're going. Right. We're successful and powerful. Right. Be anything you want. Right. Um, and so I think the there's a change now um, and there's a, a more bleak lenses. I don't know if the state of the world has actually really gotten worse. Um, but our view of it has changed. But our view of yeah. it has changed. And right. so it's a muscle that we have to practice yeah. to develop hope, to say, let's just go back to your Jeremiah 29, 11 example. I'm in exile. Mm-hmm. There's a promise that something is coming in the future. I won't get to see it if I'm the, mm-hmm. the parent so going what am I hoping exile. for? Yeah. So, right. So what's my hope? My hope is in the goodness of God for now, mm-hmm. but he does give me something to do now. Mm-hmm. There's this other passage in Jeremiah that says, while you're in Babylon, mm-hmm. bless Seek that city. Good, right? Yeah. I think we've said city. that before. Yeah. 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 And so I think that's the, like, I'm hoping in him upon whom I am dependent. Yeah. I'm not necessarily hoping for a particular outcome. Right. And I'm not really like, I mean, I can, of course, hope. I hope hope it's sunny tomorrow or I hope they have, you know, I hope they haven't run out of, uh, you know, pepperoni pizza. Um, but hope in a deeper sense that my hope is in him who governs all things and whose story I am in. And that doesn't mean that my hope is dashed if bad things happen because I'm not hoping for a circumstance or an outcome. That's how hope can be commanded in that sense because it's almost a synonym for faith that looks into the future knowing what story I'm really in. If I'm really aware of I'm in this redemptive story and that, you know, that one day Christ will make all things new, if I'm aware of that and living with that, then that is belief in that is hope and it's not something that's tied to anything that I need to happen now. And I think that, you know, remembering that and remembering where we are in the story should give us an ability to even read the book of judges with hope that even all of this was just part of the story. That's a much bigger part of the story. That's that leads to the redemption of all things. And even my life is, part of a story that's part of a bigger story that leads to redemption. And I can hope in that. Yeah. You can hope in the bigger part of the story because we are individuals that are part of a community Mm -hmm. that are part of a larger story. Now I'm still called to be faithful in my part. And, And I would say this hope does have a sense of an internal disposition, but it has to has to put something to the earth. You have to put your hand to the plow yeah. or it's just a right. I feel good about yeah. something. So, you know, we took a, a we've taken a, a few classes together uh, at Covenant Seminary. And um, one of the trends, what covenant? Yay. Uh, one of the trends that we learned um, some of those classes were. Um, that people are, are having, they're repopulating less. Mm-hmm. People are having less children. Right. And yeah. um, that's a sign of hope, of a killed hope. Yeah. Of less I'm Given hope. up on the story. We've of, lost of, our yeah. story. And so we don't have a future to look forward to. It's, it's like you said before, it's the optimism. It's the Jetsons, mm-hmm. you know, where everything's going to be great. And 
I would think when I was a kid, I figured I'd be flying around with a jetpack by now. Yeah. Um, it's Hoverboard. the Jetsons. And now we have all this dystopian, apocalyptic zombie stuff. And I think that's reflective of we used to believe in some sort of optimistic story, at least culturally. I mean, yeah. whether we really believed it or not, I'm not really saying more people, way more people had a Christian faith, but it was culturally inherited yeah. that we believed in this bigger meta story that we're a part of good people go to heaven, whatever, however we formulated that. And that's, that's now gone. And so we've lost our hope as a result culturally. Yeah. And actually then to live in hope is to live super counterculturally. It is countercultural for people. I, I've, I've heard people say, and I understand, I sympathize with it, but why would I want to bring someone right. into this terrible yeah. world? And I would say this, our perspective doesn't necessarily indicate where the story's going. Right. It really doesn't. Right. Our experience and lenses that we put on to shade the mm -hmm. story, to shade how we read the Bible, is not necessarily an indicator of how the story's actually going right now. Right. It may be that that mm -hmm. says more about me yeah. than it does about the Bible. Right. The fact that I don't have a Tesla doesn't mean the world's going downhill <laughs> necessarily. Do or, you have a Tesla? No, I don't. <sighs> yeah. So that's, that's a true story. Um, Bad things have happened. Yeah, no, I'm telling you, it's I'm using it. And God's using it to invite me to deeper spiritual growth. Um, yeah, and I think that's the the sense that if I get, I understand people saying that because if you've lost, if you don't believe in the one in whom story in whose story we inhabit, then it it okay maybe it does seem kind of bleak. Yeah, uh, and so that's a call to us to respond out of this book of judges is to live in hope and to live counterculturally. And then as Peter says, be ready to give an answer for people who say, why do you have hope? Mm -hmm. Which is literally what kind of what that verse is saying. When people ask about your hope, give a reason for your hope, yeah. uh, which we don't need to do if we don't live in hope. <laughs> right. That's right. We, we, fo we focus on having an answer or a reason and nobody ever asks because we don't have hope. Yeah, that's good. That's true. And I think that's so in, you know, as we, you know, as we end this podcast, it's this, you know, the takeaway is what does it mean for me in light of the situation of the world, in light of where we're in the story? What does it mean to me to live in hope mm. and to live in dependence and have like God, you know, produce spiritual fruit in there? Yeah, I love that. I love how we got, we definitely got uh, some mileage out of those two concepts, but I do think there's such overlapping, woven, beautiful threads of what is true spiritual maturity being shaped into a dependent person mm -hmm. um, and that should produce as Romans says that should produce hope mm -hmm. there's a yes. hopefulness that there's a there's an air of lightness even in the feeling of heaviness that we walk around with because um, yeah this is God's story it's God's world yeah. it's more hopeful story. if I don't have to accomplish it and own it and grasp onto it that I can just let go of it so um, so that's our encouragement for this week Let's live in hope. Uh, and until next week, uh, God be with you. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.